Wow, well, thanks for that warm welcome. Edwin, I'm feeling great today. After I had that big Dominican breakfast, I made the terrible decision to run back to Hell's Kitchen where I live. I had about 10 pounds of food in my belly, and I about threw up on the Brooklyn Bridge when I, by the time I got back. It is such an honor to be here. Uh, one of the favorite things that I like to do uh, anytime I'm not preaching at, at uh, my church, I'm out of pastoral ministry now directly, but I've been attending a church up in East Harlem, uh, is I love to see the saints of all different traditions, all different backgrounds, the way that Jesus is drawn together so many different kinds of people into his family. And so I can come here in Brooklyn and see, be with you and feel like I'm welcomed home to a family. And so thank you for that welcome. Uh, one of my favorite stories in doing that, we had a Sunday off and we were, uh, preach, uh, we were attending a friend of mine's church up in Harlem. And it was a great service. It was a great sermon. It was from the Bible. The preacher clearly loved Jesus. And right after the service ended, my third child, I've got four kids, a girl and three boys. So number three, my second boy, right after the service ends, he looks up at me and he goes, hey, dad, so how come you don't preach like that? And so, you know, I'm like the gracious and patient, understanding father. And I said, well, okay, son, uh, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, like interesting and funny. So I promise to not be interesting or funny today. Uh, but I hope that I can bring you a word from God that will speak to you in the, right where you are in life. And so would you please stand as I read to us our scripture for today. This is Genesis chapter 32. I'll be reading verses 22 through 32. And if you, uh, this may be a story that's familiar for some of you. It is Jacob wrestling with God. Imagine this. Imagine God shows up. And he takes you in his arms and he begins to wrestle you to the ground. That's, what ha that's what's happening to Jacob here. Okay, so here's Genesis chapter 32. This is God's own word to us. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hitch was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up on him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip of the socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is God's Word. Would you please be seated? Now, if you look at the surveys and the polls, uh, almost every expert would say that religion is in decline in America today. Uh, there's a steep decline in church attendance. Affiliation with Christianity is plummeting at record paces. And my guess, I haven't done this work, but my guess is if you were to ask the people who are leaving the church, those who are rejecting Christianity, those who look at Christianity and say this, like, there was a generation where the main question that somebody who didn't believe was asking was a question this, is Christianity 
true? Did Jesus actually rise again from the dead? That was a question people are asking. Today, though, people aren't asking the question, is Christianity true? They're asking the question, is Christianity good? And in fact, there are some, and maybe some of you here are like this yourself, some of you aren't even asking, is Christianity good? You're asking, is Christianity safe? Is a church a safe place to be weak, to be broken? Is a church a safe place for those who are on the margins? And if you were to ask so many of these people whose questions have changed, some people aren't even thinking about Christianity or thinking about God. But if you were to ask many of these folks, what's the top three reasons why you've left the faith, why you reject Christianity, why you, uh, uh, you know, reject going to church? If you were to ask them, my guess, top three reasons for every single person that you ask, one of those top three reasons will be the one single word, and it will be hypocrisy. The Christians say one thing, and yet their lives look radically different. Christians claim to know a God of love, and yet their posture to others is rarely a form of love. That Christian talks, Christians talk about righteousness and goodness, but their lives are often marked by profound selfishness. It's hypocrisy. And so what I want us to do as we look at this passage of Jacob wrestling with God, I want to ask the question, what does it look like to have a real encounter with God? Not a counterfeit one. Not one that we drum up from within ourselves. Not a false one that we've maybe grown up with. What does it look like to really encounter God and have your life transformed? If you're here and you're not quite sure what you believe about Christianity, what you need is you need to meet this God. If you're here and you're raised in the church, you would call yourself a Christian, I want to suggest to you, you need to have wrestled with this God so your life is transformed from the inside out so the world can see Jesus in us. So let's ask that question, what does a genuine encounter with God look like? And there are three points I want to walk us through. When you meet God first, you're going to have to meet Him alone. You have to meet Him yourself. Secondly, you're going to have to meet Him in your weakness. And then thirdly, you'll meet Him in His wounds. Let's look at each one of those. First, you must meet Him yourself. Let me read verses 22 through 24 again to you. This is Jacob wrestling with God. It says, The same night Jacob arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And here's a key phrase, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And this is where God ambushes him. This is where God says, and now I can do the business that I need to do with you. Now here's the thing. Community is crucial in Christianity. You can't be a solitary Christian and be a biblical Christian. Church attendance can't be optional and you be a biblical Christian. Community is absolutely crucial to the Christian faith, but the reality is, is this. You still have to meet God yourself. You can spend your entire life raised in the church. You can believe all the right doctrines. You can know all the right catechisms. You can be caught up in serving. You can go on mission trips. You can serve in the soup kitchen. You can do all these things. You can, be, you can do all of these churchy things. But in the end, you've actually never met God. 
You've been caught up in the busyness and the fervor of community, but you've never met God yourself. Or if you're here and you're, again, you're exploring what does Christianity, does it have anything to do with your life? And you can spend your time in all the questions and skeptics and reading and studying and research and you could Google everything you can about Christianity and you can get caught up in the intellectual rigor of what it means to know God and never meet God yourself. You must at some point find yourself like Jacob on the near side of the river after you've sent everything across the river, standing on the river alone with the sun going down, and God is going to have to ambush you. You have to meet Him yourself. Or you can be wrapped up in the cause of doing the work of justice and mercy in your neighborhood. You could be giving your entire life to the concerns of this community. You could be giving your entire life helping others uh, going through similar experiences that you've gone through, you can give your entire life doing the work of justice, and all you can do is be, po- be caught up in the profound need that you see around you, but never me, God. In fact, let me say this. All of those good things are sometimes the best way for you to avoid having to meet God that at some point you're going to have to stop it all and say, God wants me to look at the mess and the wounds and the sin and the brokenness right in here. I have to look at the terror within. And i got to stop distracting myself with all this good stuff. And I need to wrestle God. And that's exactly where Jacob finds himself. He sent across everything that he's worked his life for. And here he finds himself on the near side of the river and he's alone with God. Uh, Do you know the story of John Wesley? He's a very famous Christian in church history. Uh, John Wesley uh, was born and raised a Christian in the Anglican Church in in England. He felt called into ministry, so he became a full-time pastor. Uh, as a pastor, he felt called to be a missionary, and so he became a missionary to what is, what is now the United States and Georgia. And he served several years in mis- as a missionary here in the New World, as it were. Uh, went back to England because he felt like it was an utter failure in the mission's work that he had done. And then you know the story from here? He was a man who raised in the church, gave his life as a pastor, gave his life as a ministry, and it wasn't until after all of that that he goes back to England and he says, for, maybe for the very first time, I heard the gospel of grace, and it changed my life. And the very famous phrase from John Wesley is that he says, I I felt my heart strangely warmed, and I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away all my sins, yes, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This man was a pastor and missionary for most of his life, And he had never met God. All of that can be the best way to avoid God Himself. Now here's why this is important. Many of you know this. Why is it so important that you must meet God yourself? Well, here's lots of reasons why, but here's one, one reason why. You can get by on borrowed faith. You can borrow the faith of others as long as your life stays comfortable, easy, and sheltered. Right, so the great theologian and scholar Marvin Gaye said in one of my favorite songs of him, he says, there's only three things for sure. You know what three things? There's only three things for sure. 
Taxes, death, and trouble. And as soon as trouble hits, your borrowed faith, your inherited faith will evaporate like a mist. When you find yourself facing down the darkest demons of your life, when you find yourself facing the deepest and hardest struggles you've ever faced, your borrowed faith will evaporate. And many of you know exactly what that's like. Look, even in those situations, you need a community around you. You need people who can help you in faith even as you're struggling with your doubt. But at the end of the day, when it comes time to go to the, into the operating room, you want friends and family in the waiting room, but you have to go in alone. Amen. When you are facing down the demons of depression and addiction, you need community around you. You need to know there's a family rooting for you. But in the end, you need to face those demons yourself. You can get through on, on life on borrowed faith as long as your life remains easy. Your parents' faith can't save you. Your mother's faith cannot save you. Your grandfather's faith cannot save you. Your friend's faith cannot save you. Those faiths, as beautiful and glorious as they are, will not get you through your suffering. You need to meet God yourself. Amen. Friends, have you met Him? Amen. Have you found yourself standing alone on the near side of the river with the sun going down and you realize, I've never met God, but He's here now. And He's ready to do some work. That's the first point. How do I know I've had a genuine encounter with God? When you meet God, you're going to meet Him yourself. And I pray that He meets you in that way. Secondly, you must also meet Him in weakness. Because when Jacob, when he sends all those things, so he sends his wives, his children, his belongings, his servant, his livestock, when he sends all of those things across the river, the point is not just that Jacob is standing alone. Part of the point is that Jacob is standing here on the near side of the river completely vulnerable and helpless. You have to meet him in your weakness and not in your strength. What he sent across the river is everything that made him feel secure. Everything that made him feel like he was significant. Everything that made him feel safe. Everything that made him feel like I can find my own way out of this situation. Everything that he had trusted in that said, this makes me somebody who can figure out my own issues. He sent all of that across the river and there he stood with no resources left of his own. If you know the story of Jacob, he spent his entire life manipulating, cheating, stealing, scheming, exploiting, and everything he got from all of his schemes he just sent across the river, and now he is naked and alone. And if you know where the story is right now, Jacob is finally going to the land of Canaan, the land of his father's. And so maybe for the first time, Jacob is actually now beginning to obey God. God has told him, Jacob, all right, enough with the nonsense. Enough with the wild and out out there. I want you to go back to Canaan. I want you to go back to the land of your fathers. And so here's Jacob finally trying to do the right thing. He's trying to obey God. He's trying to do exactly what he's trying to leave all that behind. So here's Jacob. He's trying to do what God has asked him to do. And here he is on the cusp of Canaan. But you know what's standing between him and Canaan right now? It's his brother Esau. 
The brother whose life he ruined. The brother he cheated out of his birthright. The brother that he left without any material. The brother whose life he ruined. Now he's standing between Jacob and the land of Canaan. And all he hears is that Esau has now become a strong nation. This brother that you exploited. This brother whose life you ruined has become a strong and powerful nation. And he stands between you and Canaan. And so what is Jacob doing? He, he He has to believe at this point that Esau is coming after him. That Esau has nursed a grudge all of his life. That Esau has been planning this moment, has been licking his chops over this moment for years upon years upon years. And so what does Jacob do? He's utterly terrified. And so what does he do? He's still scheming. He takes all of his possessions, he divides it into two. Why? If he divides in two, sends one in this direction, one in that direction. If Esau comes to plunder, he's got to make a decision. At least he walks away with half his stuff. And so he divides it because he knows what's about to come down on him. And not only that, Jacob prepares for this. What does he do? He knows Esau's coming. He knows this army's bearing down on him. So what does he do? He sends envoys. He sends representatives bearing gifts, wave after wave after wave, to show Esau, I'm here in peace. I recognize what I've done. I want to make peace. And he sends wave after wave after wave. And what do we know? What do we know? We, we know what we know is that he doesn't see any of those people that he sent. So he's like, what happened to them? What did Esau do to them? But he sends wave after wave. And so here's Jacob in his last moment saying, I don't know what, but I have to send my possessions across the river to safety. And here I am standing all alone. And for him, it's the calm before the storm. It's the night before everything falls apart. And it's a night where he feels utterly alone and utterly helpless and vulnerable. He has come completely to the end of himself. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to come to God not with strengths to offer Him? Not with goodness to offer Him? But to come to God and say, God, I got nothing. I spent my whole life thinking I got something. I got nothing. And I need you. Do you know what that's like? One of my favorite stories is of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This was after um, protests had begun. He was receiving death threats in his home. And, you know, our vision of Dr. King is a man of strength and principle and conviction, deeply rooted in the Christian faith as a minister of the gospel. But he shares a story where he has this encounter with Jesus. And I love it. He says this, That morning I sat at that kitchen table, and I got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I was weak. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee, and I'll never forget it. I said, Lord... I'm, trying to, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right, but Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And it seemed to me that at that moment I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on He promised never to leave me, never to leave me, no, never to leave me alone. Even for Dr. King, 
It was in a place of weakness where you met a Jesus who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, do you know what it's like to meet God in weakness? Now here's what I love about this story. In the Hebrew, and I know most of us probably don't read Hebrew. I barely read Hebrew after all of my seminary studies. But in the Hebrew, what I love about it is this. You know what Jacob's name means? Trickster. It's a great, yeah, exactly. Trickster, deceiver, upender, supplanter, manipulator, exploiter. And you know what this passage says? Every time you hear the word, see the word wrestle in this passage, it's actually the same word as Jacob in the Hebrew. So you know what's happening here? God is out Jacobing Jacob. He's telling Jacob, look, you're trying to upend other people's lives. I'm upending your life by my grace. You're trying to supplant other people's things. I'm supplanting your life with my kindness. You're trying to wrestle all these riches from the people around you. I'm wrestling you down until you receive the riches of my grace. This is God out Jacobing Jacob saying, I will not let you go. I will not let you run. I will wrestle you down if I have to. I will take you down physically if I have to. Because my grace will not let you go. And you know what Jacob's great discovery is here? I love this about Jacob. Jacob's whole life, he believed, for example, for a while he believed that if I could wrestle my father Isaac and get his blessing, then I'll feel loved then I'll feel like the wound in my soul is healed. And he did it. And left him empty. And then he said, if I could wrestle my brother Esau and prove that I'm the good son, I'm the better son, I'm the stronger son, if I could wrestle my brother Esau, then that will heal the wound in my soul. That will make me feel like I'm somebody. And he did it. And he left empty. And then he said, if I could wrestle my, brother, or my father-in-law Laban for prosperity, if I could get half of his wealth, if I could make myself rich, if I could hustle and get all the wealth that I need, if I could be, just become rich, then I'll know I'm somebody. And what does he do? He wrestles Laban, he takes half of his wealth, he becomes one of the wealthiest people in the region. He does it all. And the wound in his soul is not healed. And he still feels like nobody. He still feels poor at the heart of his soul. And then he says, if I could wrestle Rachel and Leah for the love of a spouse. If I could find a woman, a partner who will love me. That will heal the wound in my soul. If I could just be in the right love relationship. If I could find the right romantic connection. He wrestles down Rachel and Leah and it still leaves him empty. And you know what he discovers here in this moment? He discovers all along he was wrestling the wrong person. That all along when he thought he was wrestling Isaac or Esau or Laban or Rachel or Leah, when he thought he was wrestling all these things all along, who he's actually wrestling with, he's wrestling with his creator, his redeemer, and his king. Because the approval of a father doesn't mean much if you have the approval of the father in heaven. The wealth of this world means nothing if you have the riches of heaven. The love of a spouse means nothing if you you have the spousal love of God Himself. And all along he realized there was a great wrestler 
behind all those other small things I was wrestling with. Friends, what have you been wrestling to squeeze your worth out of life? What have you been wrestling with that makes you say, if I just win this battle, then I'll know? Friends, there is a God who has been wrestling with you. And He's saying, come to Me. I alone can give you this blessing that you seek. I alone hold it in My hands. And God comes to Jacob and He becomes visible and tangible. Can you imagine? At night, He's actually physically wrestling another human being And later on, he discovers, I was wrestling God. I saw God face to face, and I lived. Because God says, look, if I need to become flesh and blood so that you know that I have a love that will not let you go, I'll do exactly that. You know what the message of the Gospel is? You know what Jesus is? Jesus is God telling you, if I have to become flesh and blood so that you will know the extent I will go to to win you over with my love, I'll do exactly that. Jesus has done that for you. He comes to wrestle you so that He might not let you go without His blessing, but you have to come to Him in weakness. You'll never meet God in your strength. Do you see yourself in this story? Do you see yourself wrestling with God? Do you see God coming in love to wrestle you down to the mat to show you I'm the one you're looking for? And that leads to the third and final point. First, a genuine encounter with God means that we must meet Him, yourse- we must meet him ourselves. You must meet Him yourself. Secondly, you must meet Him in weakness. But third and finally, you must meet Him in His wounds. There's a turning point in this wrestling match. Did you notice that? Let me read verse 25 to you. It says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now let's pause and think about this for a second. If uh, you were on the subway and you had sent all of your possessions on the far side of the subway train and you're standing now by yourself on the near side of the subway train, and you get jumped by somebody at night on the subway platform. Someone jumps you at night, and you start wrestling with this man. What are you trying to do when you wrestle this man? You're trying to push this person off of you. What are you doing? You're wrestling yourself away. You're saying, I've got to get out of the grip of this person. I've got to get out of the range of this person. And you're trying to push yourself away. So that's exactly how Jacob starts this wrestling man. He gets ambushed. He gets jumped by God, not knowing it's God, in the darkness next to the river. Someone comes and jumps him. He's wrestling himself away. And then at some point, what happens? By the end of the wrestling match, it's Jacob saying, no, don't go. It's Jacob saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. What what has happened? What has happened? He was wrestling a God that he was trying to get his life away from. And as he wrestled, what happens? He thinks, if I just wrestle hard enough, I can get my life away from God. And God at some point says, you know what? That's enough. Let me just touch your hip. And the hip gets wrenched out of joint. 
And what does Jacob realize? Jacob realized God's been wrestling him, but God has not allowed the full weight of his glory to fall. And God's been holding back. It's like me wrestling with my eight-year-old. Just enough. But then at some point when he realizes, here is a God who can just touch my hip and it's completely ruined for the rest of my life. If it's God I've been wrestling, i got to stop wrestling away. And i got to start holding on to him out of desperation. He's got what I need. And so he holds on to him. And Jacob says, I can't leave until you bless me. And God in his grace does exactly that. The sun rises. Jacob's name is changed forever. You're not the deceiver. You're not the trickster. You're not the supplanter. You're not the exploiter. You're the one who wrestled with me and you prevailed. You won. Utterly and completely changed. And the sun rises. Jacob is a changed man. And you want to know how everybody from that day forth knew that Jacob was a changed man? He walked with a limp from that day on. He received the wound of God. The wound of God's love. And he walked with a limp from that day on. And you know what I would imagine? You know what probably drew people like you and me to Jacob? Not his strength, not his wealth, not his wisdom, not his... You know what probably drew people like you and me to Jacob? Was because he walked with a limp. And we said, here's a man whose swagger has become the limp of someone who has met the living God. Friends, are you swaggering into church today? Will you let your limp show the world that there is a God who meets us in our wounds and in our weakness?